y'all. It's Lynn's. Back in the laundry studio, which I just had the best idea for a joke. Like, get ready, okay? Because here it comes. Why does Lynn's record her... No, wait. Let me back up. <laughs> what do you call... I already messed up my joke. Okay, hold on. <clears throat> Let me start again. Why does Lens record in the laundry room? Because it's a podcast. Get it? Like laundry pod. Yay, golf clap. <laughs> oh, I broke the no laughing rule. Mm. All right. Well, that wasn't my strongest opener, but hey, here we are again. So I'm sitting here. I've got my uh, my frosty mug and I've got my laundry basket turned over um, on upside down and I'm using it for a side table. And what do I have on my side table, you may ask? I have books. Yes, I do. I have books to share with you. Oh, I was a poet and didn't even know it. I have books. Okay. So I, one of the first things when I started thinking about doing a podcast, one of the first things that came to mind that I wanted to talk about was books. And quite honestly, I was very tempted to have just like a book focused podcast because I was an English major. I do love reading. Reading was my very first like true love, I guess, like hobby. It's been, I just, I have always loved to read. I have unfortunately gone through a period of time in the last several years where my time has been very limited and I haven't gotten to do nearly as much reading as I would like to do, but I'm trying to turn over a new leaf with that and do more reading. And so I was challenged this year at the beginning of the year. Um, it was one of those things that goes around on Facebook. Um, at the beginning, oh, my slipper just fell off. <laughs> just call me Cinderella. My slipper fell off. Um, at the beginning of the year, it went around on Facebook. It was called like the five book challenge or something like that. And basically it was like the first five people to comment on this status will get a book. So, you know, and then the person who puts this on their status, they encourage other people to do the same, like return the favor. So I responded to somebody's... Um, Actually, it might have been more than one person. It was definitely, it was definitely Nazarene status because one of the books um, that is on my shelf right now, which I'm not actually going to talk about in this segment, but um, it's one of the books on my shelf that eventually I want to talk about because I loved it so much. And so, um, so I responded to Nazarene's I want a book. She's like, cool, you got it. And I was like, you know what? I have tons and tons of favorite books. I'm going to do this myself. So I offered up the challenge or the not really challenge, I guess the offer. I offered up the offer on my own Facebook page and like right away, five people. So, um, could not remember them now at the moment. I can remember that my one friend was number six. Brenda was number six. And she was like, oh man, I missed it. And I said, no, you didn't. I'm going to send you a book anyway. So I really hope that I remember to do that. <laughs> Brenda, if I did not remember, please let me know. I'm pretty sure I did though. I think I sent you a Kristen Hanna book, but just, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Cause I've got still another Kristen Hanna book on my shelf that I could send out. 
So anyway, I um, really, really enjoyed pick, picking those books to send to my five people, six people, my six people. And so um, it really, it gave me, it gave me a, a, a reason to like try and reinvest in reading as a hobby this year. So I have really put, I have put a um, purposeful, purposefully, I have tried to get reading back on my schedule. And I have another friend, her name is also Lindsay. So she's awesome, obviously, <laughs> um, who she and I went to college together. And she was one of those people that like, she was busy and I was busy and we lived on opposite sides of the campus. And we spent basically like four years running into each other and saying, how are you? I love you. I miss you. We need to get together. And then like we graduated and we moved and then she eventually moved back to near to where I live. And for like another four years, like the, another range of time, we were like, I love you. I miss you. We need to get together. And then we never did until about three months ago. We did. And we decided to get together with a mutual um, goal of sharing books with one another. And so we met up for dinner. We each brought a stack of books to pass on to the other. And then we said, okay, like it's spring, you know, or it was, I think it was like early summer. We said, okay, in about three months, we're going to do this again. Right. Right. We said, yep. Right. And so I'm so excited because next Tuesday we are going to a book talk, um, uh, by the author of the book. Oh gosh. Now I'm going to say the wrong word. Um, I think it's 13 moons. That's gotta be right. My book is on hold at the library, so I'm going to be reading this weekend. I just totally outed myself for waiting till the last minute, but um, yeah, so I love reading, and I'm always really excited. Yes, it is called 13 Moons. If I get this wrong, I will be so embarrassed. All right, so... Um, I love books. I'm going to tell you about some. I'm going to stop scrolling my phone because I obviously turned into a zombie the second I tried to do that. And um, what happened was I got distracted because I saw that my favorite college professor had also RSVP'd to that event. So now I'm really excited. Dr. Watkins is going to come. He was my favorite. Um, he was my favorite professor in college. He um, lived on campus. The school I went to really prided itself on having a lot of on-campus housing for the professors. And so it really promoted a very like familial atmosphere because you'd run into your professors, you'd see their families like riding bikes around and stuff like that. And so, um, he had a tradition of, um, if he had a particularly good class that had like a good class vibe, cause he, I had him for multiple classes and we only did this in one class. They had a particularly good class vibe at the end of the semester. Um, he would invite people over to, um, have a, a night of music at his house. And so we went to his house. This was the coolest night ever in my college career to this day. I still think it was the coolest night. And we all went over to his house. And so I was married at this point in time. So my husband came with me. And so he has the cool, he has the shared, had the shared memory experience or whatever. And, um, so we all, got together at his house. I think we might've eaten. I don't know. And then he and several other guys who played guitars just got their guitars out and we sat around his living room and they just did like popcorn, play a song. You know, somebody would say, Oh, do you know such and such? And, uh, then they'd go, yeah, you know, and then we'd all sing. 
And it was just a great, great night. And like I said, one that I'll remember. So I'm very excited. He took, he taught, that was my Southern literature class that we did that for. And Southern literature is like my favorite. I think it's, I think I like it even better than British literature, but it's a very close tie. We don't have Moors here in the South. So that's, you know, um, a con, but (laughs) everything else is a pro. None of these books are Southern literature or British literature, but they are literature. (laughs) So, um, because I, but for my first thought was like, okay, I'm going to talk about my favorite books. And then I was like, no, that'll be a four hour long podcast. So I thought instead I'll do a spotlight of a couple of books. And then I was like, okay, which ones? And so then I was looking at my shelf and I thought, all right, a theme sort of jumped out at me right away because I have a, a section of the bookshelf where, which by the way, to come back to what I was saying at the very beginning, because of the challenge, the five, send, send somebody a book challenge that started in the beginning of this year, I gave myself a challenge to fill up. I have this bookshelf in our room that, um, runs like two thirds of the length of a wall. Cause we have sort of an awkward wall with a window on it and you can't really put any furniture on it. And so we put up, um, we did like a shelf. And so I didn't really know what I was going to put on. I thought maybe pictures, maybe, I don't know, but books is what I decided. I said this year, I'm going to fill up this whole shelf of books. So that's what I've been trying to do. So as I looked at the shelf of books, uh, two clear themes jumped out at me. One large section of books, are the kids' books, like the bedtime books, that I have had to retire from circulation in the general home space because they are so well-loved and worn out that I'm afraid that they're just going to like fall apart and be irreparably, irreparably damaged. So I have a section of kids' books that are like that. And then I have, I love self-help books are one of the book types of books that I like. And so I have several books that I've read this year that I don't know if self-help is maybe that's the wrong word to there. Um, nonfiction is the, I guess, overall genre, but each one of them was, um, teaching something. So it was kind of, it was a nonfiction on the educating myself on a certain topic. So I have three of each. So I'm going to tell you about three children's books, my two, three of my favorite. I don't know if they're my exact favorite. I have a lot of favorites. And I have different favorites for each kid because each kid had their own favorites. But these across the board are my three favorite, three of my favorite. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Also, my throat's getting dry. Give me one second. Okay. That's so gross, right? When you hear people drinking, like drinking sounds, it's almost as bad as when somebody's way too close to the mic and you're hearing like the mac and cheese sound in their mouth. Ugh, so gross. Okay. So three kids books. And then the other three are nonfiction titles from which I learned something this year. So I'm going to do the nonfiction first because I think I'm going to be more wordy on those. And then I'm going to do the kids books, um, second, and then I might read you one of the kids books because I just love it so much. So we'll see. Okay. I want to start with the first one on my stack, I'll just go in the order I stack them. Maybe this was divine, a divine appointment. Okay. The first one here on my stack is called What Made Maddie Run? The subtitle is The Secret Struggles and Tragic Death of an All-American Teen. 
And this is by a lady named Kate Fagan. And it is, um, now it's a national bestseller, according to this blurb on the front. And it does not surprise me at all to read that. I think that of all the books that I've read in the most, in, in recent years, and especially since becoming a parent, I mean, I, I think this book for anybody who works with kids, students of any age, this is a book that everybody needs to read. It was written in 2017, so it's a recent book. And basically, um, I'm just going to read you the, I'm going to read you the blurb on the back because this, this tells you everything that you need to know about this book to like give you an understanding of, of the, where it's coming from. Okay, here we go. If you scrolled through the Instagram feed of 19-year-old Maddie Holleran, you would see a perfect life, a freshman at an Ivy League school, recruited for the track team, who was also beautiful, popular, and fiercely intelligent. Maddie was someone who succeeded at everything she tried. But when she began her long-awaited college career, her parents noticed that something was different. Previously indefatigable, Maddie became withdrawn, and her thoughts centered on how she could change her life. In spite of thousands of hours in practice and studying, she contemplated transferring from the school that had been her dream. When Maddie's dad, Jim, dropped her off for the first day of spring semester, she held him a second longer than usual. That would be the last time Jim saw his daughter. This is the story of Maddie Holleran's life and her struggle with depression, which also reveals the mounting pressures young people, and college athletes in particular, face to be perfect in an age of relentless connectivity and social media saturation. Okay, so this book absolutely fascinated me because, first of all, I'm going to tell you about the writing style. Kate Fagan's writing style, she is a a ESPNW columnist, so she has a very succinct, very technical, very clear type of writing. It's very easy to read. It, w- it will not take you long to read this book. You don't have to know anything about sports. Okay. So don't let that put you off. Like it's not, it is a lot of sports talk, but it was nothing that was out of the realm of what I could understand. Basically what is so amazing or unexpected about this book is that this book is about a young woman who died of, from suicide but because the author had access to all of her social media accounts, her text messages, her computer with her emails and instant messages and direct messages and things like that through social media, you actually feel like you get to know Maddie because you're reading her actual words. So it's not just a third person. It's like it's not just a third person telling. It's like you're hearing it straight from Maddie. And that was so startlingly effective to help you understand what this girl was going through. And basically what it amounts to is that you have this girl who, by all accounts, has a perfect life. It looks perfect. It sounds perfect. But what her parents did not discover was that the pressure to perform and the pressure to appear to be perfect at a certain point when she got to college and was kind of like, you know, out of the nest, so to speak, it became so overwhelming to her that within, I mean, literally from the beginning of fall semester to the beginning of spring semester, she went from confident, you know, accomplished, vibrant to 
depressed, anxious, and ultimately suicidal. And the thing that is the common theme all the way through is social media. And it talks about how um, the science behind, so this is the part that was super especially fascinating to me. Um, 10 years ago, I think it was 10 years ago that the iPhone came out. Don't quote me on that. But 10 years ago, the iPhone, when the iPhone came out, we had no idea. Like there was, there was no, I mean, social media had just basically been invented. Nobody could have known what social media would develop into. And more importantly, no one could have known the mental effect of social media on teenage kids or pre-teenage kids or, you know, pubescent teens or whatever. It sounds like a big joke. You know, it's a big joke. You always hear people talking about, oh, you know, teens, you know, their brains aren't fully functioning, you know, they're not full grown or whatever. But that's actually true. Scientifically, it is true. And so what was fascinating about this book was that there is now, 10 years later, a body of scientific data to show that social media legitimately, exposure to social media, and especially, I guess you would say maybe overexposure to social media, actually affects a growing teen's developmental mind and can, and can now be attributed to some of the rise in depression, anxiety, and suicide in young people. And like to the point to where they have studied, they, they have now clinically shown, they can clinically measure that um, a, a young person's reaction to text messaging with a parent versus a phone call with a parent, that their brain reacts in a completely different way. That to re... Um, to interact via text message does not light up the emotional center of the brain in the same way that a phone call where you're hearing your mom or your dad or your sister or your loved one, whoever it is, in the same way that hearing the person's voice does. So they've been able to measure this. And they're saying that what a lot of parents and kids alike, like no one knew. So nobody knew that that was the case. And so therefore, you know, parents feel good about the fact that like we have you know, everybody can have a phone now. We can have instant access to each other. You can shoot your kid a text. Hey, are you okay? Yep, I'm good. It provides a lot of, um, you know, comfort and just like, okay, they made it to practice or, you know, oh, you know, they had a good day or okay, they're, you know, they're back to their dorm for bed tonight or whatever. It provides that kind of immediate like sense of reassurance but what nobody realized is that it doesn't actually foster the emotional support in the same way that face-to-face or verbal communication does. And so that's just one small piece of the puzzle. But so many things through this book were absolutely fascinating to me. Also completely heartbreaking because this family would never have seen this coming, especially from this girl. And so um, I have recommended it to... Everyone that's a parent, everyone that has kids that they're involved with, grandparents, aunts, uncles, teachers, just anybody who wants to understand what is it like to be a young person growing up in this age of social media and why does it seem like so many kids are struggling with these things that our generation and prior generations didn't struggle with? The legitimate answer is that life is just different. It is. It's a totally different world out there and a lot of it has to do with smartphones and social media. So. That one, definitely recommend. 
What Made Maddie Run by Kate Fagan. And like I said, you'll get through the book in a weekend because you'll you'll want to know how the story ends. Um, you'll want closure. So that was one of my nonfiction that I've read this year that really had an effect on me. Okay, the next one, um, about two years ago, I um, started listening to John MacArthur sermons. And I started listening to John MacArthur because I have a friend who, from the time, from the whole time I've known her, so we were, we met in high school, she has always been someone who, if I had a question that had to do with um, faith or Christianity or our beliefs or theology or doctrine or what should I study for on my Bible test next week, (laughs) okay, anything like that, she's the person I would go to because she has such a natural love for it, such a natural draw. She has just always been someone that I've really looked up to. She's an incredibly faithful woman. And so um, for years, she has talked about John MacArthur being her favorite um, preacher, pastor, teacher, whatever you want to call him. I don't even know what he calls himself. Teacher, maybe. I don't know. Um, and I was kind of like, okay, you know, that's cool. I didn't really have a favorite pastor. Didn't, you know, didn't really delve too deep into that world. Well, about two years ago, that changed. And I started listening to John MacArthur sermons. And I think that the, um, I think that the, the difference now is that now I want, like, if I'm going to listen to a sermon, which I do, cause I, like, that's what they do at church. <laughs> but if I'm going to go out and purposefully seek out a sermon, like that's not me sitting in the pew on a Sunday morning, I really don't want like a motivational speech. That is not what is interesting to me. I want something that is like, I want someone to tell me something about the Bible that I have never learned before. I don't want to learn the same thing I've already learned. So I want new material. And I really want to be like, I want to be wowed. I want to walk out, uh, well, not walk out of there because I'm not, I'm not attending these churches where these people are teaching that I'm listening to these sermons. I'm listening to podcasts of sermons. Um, I want to end that, listening to that sermon and think to myself, wow, I would never, ever have been able to come to that conclusion or pull that out of that text by just me opening up the Bible and reading from it. So it's a tall order to fill. Okay. But John MacArthur fills the bill, man. If you want to be challenged to understand theology and doctrinal stuff and the Bible and whatever, John MacArthur is a great person to do that for you because he will step all over your feelings. <laughs> so, um, I started listening to John MacArthur podcasts and I started subscribing to his newsletter or something. I don't even know. I don't know how I did that. I think I requested like a free booklet or something. Cause you know, they always say for your free, whatever, right to da, 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 da. And I was like, Oh, so they were advertising a free book and I don't remember which one it was. Cause I'm on now like my third book. Okay. <laughs> my third free book, but I got a free book. And so now like once a month or every other month I get um, something in the mail that's like for your free copy of whatever, send back this card. So one of the ones that I got this year, is called Alone, Alone, sorry, Alone with God. 
And the subtitle is Rediscovering the Power and Passion of Prayer. Obviously, it's by John MacArthur. He's written a bazillion books. He's written like 50 some odd books. And I heard him interviewed one time and he said that after he wrote his first book, that was plenty for him. He didn't ever want to write another book. So that's kind of funny to me. Um, I would love to write a book, like a book that gets published on real paper. Super exciting type bucket list level thing. I would tell everyone, I wrote a book. I wrote a book. Here's where you can buy it. Anyway, so I got this book, Alone with God, Rediscovering the Power and Passion of Prayer. And I'm going to be honest, it looks cheesy as I'll get out from the, from the cover. It's got a green, a lime green couch on it. Like, is this like, is like what you would see at like a therapist's office? Like, come sit on the couch. But anyway, it is about the Lord's Prayer. So we all have probably at some point in our lives, especially if you live in the Bible Belt like I do, you have heard or learned the Lord's Prayer, which goes like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Okay, interesting side note, that is not how it appears in the Bible. People in the church, after centuries of reading the Bible and maybe being tired of it, added on a couple extra lines at the end. So if you want to um, see the uh, verse for verse actual one, it's in um, the Gospels. Don't ask me which one. Two of them for sure, I know. It's two different ones. I think it's Matthew 5 somewhere. I think it's somewhere in there. Um. I'll put it in the show notes. How about that? <laughs> anyway, this book breaks down. It takes this prayer, which is just a few sentences long, and it is a, let me count the words. It's a 200 and, <laughs> it's a, oh, well, let's start the discussion questions. Okay. It's a 187-page book about the Lord's Prayer. So that's what I'm talking about. If you want, if you have an interest in getting into the Bible on a verse-by-verse, and you're interested in, in what that whole idea of reading the Bible verse-by-verse is about, it's called exegesis, and not like ex-Jesus. It's spelled differently. Um John MacArthur is a great place to start with that and just prepare to have your feelings hurt because he just says whatever he thinks and whatever he feels and he doesn't really care if you like it. So Alone with God by John MacArthur. Okay, so now the third one. Oh, I left my, shoot, I left my notebook in the other room. Well, that's okay. I, that is helping me decide what to say and what not to say. I told y'all I love personality tests. I read a book this year called Personality Plus for Parents, Understanding What Makes Your Child Tick, and it's by a woman with a fantastic name. Her name is Florence Litauer. And I have a feeling, oh, this was published in 2000. I was going to say, I was going to guess sometime in the 90s. All right, it was published in 2000, and it is all about the four personality types um, the four meaning the four that she uses. So, okay. Now in 2019, let's see, remember back in 2000, like the Enneagram had not been invented yet, that kind of stuff. So back in 2000, the reigning, uh, personality types, 
that people talked about and threw around a lot were the sanguine, the choleric, here comes the train, everybody listen up, the phlegmatic, and the melancholy. <coughs> I think I remember hearing that this actually, this was actually something that either the Greeks or the Romans came up with because they thought that your body systems determined your personality. Like if you had a lot of bile, you were um, choleric. That's where bile, like choleric came from talking about bile, liver bile, which really offends me because I am choleric. So that's rude. But this book particularly breaks it down for parents to understand their children and why they act the way that they do. So in the back of the book, the first thing it tells you to do in like the first chapter is it explains the different personality types to you. It tells you about the popular sanguine. So that's like the little social butterfly. And then the powerful choleric. That's like the leader type. Then there's the <coughs> perfect melancholy, who's like kind of the perfectionist detailer sort of introvert person. And then the peaceful phlegmatic, who is your like go-to easy child, just go with the flow, you know, everybody loves that kid, but they just aren't real high energy. So the first thing that it tells you to do is go in the back, copy the test, fill out one for every kid that you have, and then read the book with the results of that test in mind. So that was super fun for me to do. So I gave, I like, I didn't give my kids the test. I didn't sit down with them and say, would you say that you are adventurous, adaptable, animated, or analytical? Because literally that would have taken the rest of my life to have to explain what every single one of those words meant. So I just sat down and tried to do the most truthful job I could do to fill out the test for them. And so basically it revealed to me that I have three children who have three different personalities, three completely different personalities. My oldest child is a very strong melancholy. She's also the only melancholy, strong melancholy out of the five of us, which makes her very different, which would explain some reasons why we butt heads sometimes. Then my middle child is the typical middle child. She's phlegmatic. She's easygoing. She'd rather be chilling and just at peace with everyone. And then my youngest is a split, almost an even split between choleric and sanguine. So she wants to be the party animal who is in control of all the plants. Also, she and I have kind of the same personality. So that would explain a lot why I understand her a little bit better than I understand the other two. Also, my middle child has the same personality as my husband, just about. So also kind of easy for me to understand her. So my poor oldest, she's just out there on an island. So it was really, really helpful to read this book, discover that fact about our family dynamic. And then the whole book is so practical. It tell it literally says, this is what it says, how to parent your melancholy child. Like, thank you, Florence. This is exactly what I needed. And it tells me all of these helpful things. It says like, don't cheer them up. I mean, Truly, it never would have occurred to me that if I have an Eeyore child to not try to cheer them up. I feel like as a mom, that is our default, right? We always want everyone to be okay. Like we want them to be happy. We want them to be okay. You know, that's like the parent default mode. 
And so the fact that she told me that that's, that that's really not going to help anything, I mean, that was really eye-opening because it is so true. If I try and cheer her up, it makes everything worse. It also tells me I'm supposed to give her some space. It also says that they don't think their parents are funny. <laughs> and this is 1,000% true. It also says in big, bold letters with an exclamation point, please don't embarrass me. And unfortunately for my oldest child... That is one request I absolutely cannot adhere to because embarrassing my kids is probably my favorite thing to do. Today, I embarrassed them by singing at the top of my lungs to a Shania Twain song and then proceeding to cry because it reminded me of being in high school and making a mixtape for my boyfriend. So, um, that's just what they're going to get with me. Okay. So that was my third helpful nonfiction slash, I guess, self-health, self-health, so my word, self help book that I've read this year. So, um, maybe I'll write those in the show notes if you guys want to go check them out. All right. Now to conclude or to not to conclude, to move on to the second segment of my favorite books highlights. These are three books that all three of my kids have loved at bedtime. So they're kids books and more specifically they're bedtime books. Now we don't have a strict bedtime ritual at my house because I am not very patient by that point in the evening. And for a lot of the time when the kids were really young, my husband was working a lot of long hours and truthfully, like we were both just fried by the time bedtime came around, we could not do the, I need another sip of water, read me another book, sing me another song. It was not, we did not have it in us. And so bedtime at our house has always been a pretty, fast kind of, you know, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am type process. So we typically did not read books like at quote unquote bedtime, but we might read them in the evening, like after dinner or throughout the day while I was home with them, I would read them books. But I know a lot of really good parents out there do read their kids books at bedtime and you might be getting sick of the ones you have. So maybe these three could give you some new material. The first one, I'm going to do them from, I'm going to do um, in reverse order, the big one, the medium one, and then the short one. So this will give you options. If you like to read a long book at bedtime, like if your kid will actually fall asleep while you're reading, go with the long one. If you want to read a cute book that has a great story, but you don't want to be in there for, you know, 20 minutes, read the middle one. And if you want one that's over in like two minutes, read the first, read the short one, the, the smallest one. Okay. So starting with the biggest one, <coughs> we have the little house by Virginia Lee Burton. And this book, y'all, the illustrations in this book, like I'm sitting here and I'm going to have to just flip through it while I'm sitting here because these illustrations just make you feel all warm and cozy on the inside. So it's all about the little house who in the beginning, well here, here's what it says. This engaging picture book cleverly presents a wealth of information, the changing seasons in the country, the advancement in architecture and transportation, growth in population, and the accelerating tempo of city life. Okay, that is the most boring possible way to tell you about this story. This story is about a little house, and the house, of course, has been humanized, so it, it has a personality. It's a she. She has very human-looking features, but not in a creepy way. And basically when she's, 
when she's built, she's a happy little house on a little hill in the country. And then as time goes by, as generations go by, the city moves closer and closer and closer until eventually she's in the city. And she wishes she was back in the country. And so one day, the great-great-granddaughter's great-great-granddaughter of the man who built the house comes along and sees the house and goes, oh, I think I know what house this is. And she puts it up on a little dolly, on a little trolley, whatever you want to call it, and carts the little house back out to the country. And so it is just the most, like, satisfying, visually stunning, sweet little bit of a tearjerker, if I'm honest, like just the best little story. So it's called The Little House by Virginia Lee Burton. And I think we gave this to our oldest on her birthday one year. Let me look. Yep. <coughs> Happy second birthday. We love you, mommy and daddy. Okay. So that's the big one. Now we're going to go to the medium. The medium one is called Gregory the Terrible Eater by Mitchell Charmett. And this book it's so funny. It is it is truly a book that someone wrote because they hated reading bedtime books that were just like sappy and just like blah, you know. This is a book that some person with a very whip smart comic humor came up with because they were tired of reading annoying kids books because the book is about a goat named Gregory who doesn't want to eat like a goat. He wants to eat food that is, like, good for you. <laughs> and so I'm just going to read you the first couple pages. And I'm going to do it in the same voice that I do for my kids. Once there was a goat named Gregory. Gregory liked to jump from rock to rock, kick his legs into the air, and butt his head against walls. I'm an average goat, said Gregory. But Gregory was not an average goat. Gregory was a terrible eater. Every time he sat down to eat with his mother and father, he knew he was in for trouble. Would you like a tin can, Gregory? asked Mother Goat. No, thanks, said Gregory. How about a nice box, a piece of rug and a bottle cap? asked Father Goat. Bah, said Gregory unhappily. Well, I think this is a meal fit for a goat, said Mother Goat as she chewed on an old shoe. It certainly is, said Father Goat as he ate a shirt, buttons and all. I don't know why you're such a fussy eater, Gregory. I'm not fussy, said Gregory. I just want fruits, vegetables, eggs, fish, bread and butter. Good stuff like that. Mother Goat stopped eating the shoe. Now what kind of food is that, Gregory, she said. It's what I like, said Gregory. It's revolting, said Father Goat. He wiped his mouth with his napkin. Okay, I could go on because it's so good. It's my favorite. Nazarene, did you catch that Baltimore O I just said? I could go on. <laughs> I recently found out my sister started buying Gregory the Terrible Eater to give to um, her friends at their baby showers. And I think that that is a fantabulous idea. And it totally got my gears turning on what books I want to buy her for her baby shower. Okay, last one. Bears in the Night by Stan and Jan Berenstain. Now, disclaimer, I really hate Berenstain Bear books. <laughs> but there are two Berenstain Bear books that I will read. And one of them is 
bears in the night. The other one is the spooky old tree. And I really waffled between which one was my favorite out of the two, but I decided that it's this one. And this is the one I'm going to read to you because it is like, it'll be over like this. Okay. Bears in the Night by Stan and Jan Berenstein. Now you have to imagine it's a whole pile of bears. Let me count them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's seven bears sharing a bed. Okay. And those little bears are about to go on an adventure. Also, I'm going to tell you why, from an English teacher's perspective, why I love this book at the end. But I'm going to let you wonder the whole time I'm reading it. Okay, here we go. They're in the bed. I just have to set this up a little bit. They're in the bed. The window is open. And from out the window, the letters are coming in the window. And it's going, ooh. Okay, here we go. In bed. Out of bed. Out of bed, to the window, at the window. Out the window. I'm doing the voice I do for my kids, obviously. Out the window, down the tree. Out the window, down the tree. Over the wall. Over the wall, under the bridge. Under the bridge, around the lake. Under the bridge, around the lake, between the rocks, through the woods, out the window, down the tree, over the wall, under the bridge, around the lake, between the rocks, through the woods, up, spook, hill, woo! That's an owl. Down, spook, hill, through the woods, between the rocks, around the lake, under the bridge, over the wall, up the tree, in the window. Back in bed. The end. Can anyone guess why the English teacher loves this book? Anyone? Bueller? Anyone? It's because it's all prepositions. (laughs) Out of bed. To the window. At the window. It's all prepositions, y'all. Easiest way ever to teach prepositions. Just read your kids a book. Bears in the night. All right. So my throat is totally dry from reading all of those books. And now I'm dying to get back to my bookshelf and look over them again so that I can decide what I want to do the next time I do a book club meeting. So that's what I'm going to call this episode. I'm going to call this book club meeting volume one or something like that. So because I'm always looking for book recommendations and because I have this goal of getting my bookshelf filled. Okay. I need y'all to help me out. And if you have a book that you want to recommend to me, it can be a fiction book. It can be Southern lit, British lit, Victorian lit, whatever, Canadian lit. I don't know. Any books that you liked. That's the most important part. If you liked the book, that's why I'm interested in it. Okay. So Instagram me, oddly adulting, at oddly adulting, I guess. Email me, oddlyadulting at gmail.com. What's the other choice? Oh, yeah. Comment on the website. (laughs) No, almost no one does that. So I should probably stop mentioning it. Um, But I do get emails and I do get Instagrams and texts and Marco Polos and maybe phone calls. Yeah, sometimes I get phone calls. Um, And let me know what book should I read? Because there's only three years, not three years, gracious. There's only three months left in this year. And I got a lot of space left on my bookshelf. Okay, so I'm looking for some new favorites. 
let me know what I need to add to the list. And hey, if you want to buy me a book to read, send me an email and I'll give you my address for real. Actually, I also just recently found out that you're supposed to be able to receive mail. You can send someone general delivery mail to the post office in their town. So you could try it that way too. Just send it. Well, and then I'd still have to tell you my town. But anyway, I digress. This has gone on long enough. I'm going to cut myself off and I'm going to say, I love books. Tell me what to read. And if you made it to the end of this, I love you. And Jesus does too. Bye. Music is by Kevin McLeod. Winner, winner.